Shalom, shalom. Welcome, one and all. Welcome, world changers. Tonight, we're going to get into another book, another new book. Actually, we finished the Pentateuch and the book of Joshua. We're getting into the book of Judges tonight. And so, yeah, we're moving right along here. Praise God by the grace of God. And so it's it's uh, something that uh, I'm looking forward to. We're going to, Lord willing, go through the first seven chapters of the book of Judges. We're going to be talking about Deborah, amongst many other things. But uh, Deborah is is a uh, uh, a topic that a lot of people bring up every once in a while. So I want to talk about Deborah. So let me see what we have. 1 John 2.26 in the live chat. Shalom. Welcome. Good to see you. As well as Calamento says, Shalom, everyone. Welcome. Good to see you as well. Yeah, so the book of Judges. The book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges starts basically where the children of Israel decline and they become corrupt very fast. We talked about that um, just the other night. In the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, when Joshua and his elders, his his people under him, they passed away. The children of Israel, well, it, it happens the way it always has happened, and that is when a good leader passes away or even goes away for a little while, uh, corruption sets in very fast. So the book of Judges is the first book in the order of the Bible that we've been reading so far that um, records this kind of corruption. So we're going to get into that. going to talk about that. Judges chapter 1. Let's go there and welcome to the to those of you who are on the um, the live podcast as well. Judges chapter 1, verse 1. Now, now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass. You know what? Let me just kind of stop here for a second. This phrase, it came to pass, you see it throughout the scriptures. It, it, you know, it came to pass, it came to pass, it came to pass. Uh, it's something to remember when you're going through something difficult, right? <laughs> you remember, remember this phrase, it came to pass, it came to pass. It doesn't stay. It's temporary. It came to pass. That the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. i got to stop there again. You need, it makes me wonder who the Lord was actually speaking to. Because we don't have these details in, in this in this book at all. It's just like, you know, it came to pass, the children of Israel asked the Lord. So who did the Lord actually reply to? Um, who did he speak to? Did he speak to everybody? Or did he speak to just one person? And if it was just one person, then who? I I have a feeling that, mm, well, I know it's just speculation at this time, but it could have been more than one person. Could have been more than one person, just for the sake of wit the witness. You know, uh, let everything be established by two or three witnesses, especially after a good leader like Joshua has passed away. 
And I see there on YouTube, we have the Tower of Time that joined us. The Tower of Time says, Shalom, brothers and sisters. Bless y'all. Shalom, brother. Welcome. Blessings multiplied back to you. And welcome and blessings multiplied to you as well. The great deception. As he says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Good to see you. Okay, let's continue with the book of Judges. It's actually like the first, apart, I can't say it's the first book that details corruption that sets into the people of Israel. Because, in, you know, back in Genesis, we've, well, I mean, we have the story of the, the quote unquote fall of man. We have the story of Babel. We have the story of uh, the days of Noah. We have the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. So we have several different times in history up to this time when the people of God or men in general, humans in general, um, just became corrupt. And so this is another another instance. And it kind of happens gradually in the book of uh, Judges. It doesn't happen like, like, you know, in one, you know, a couple of a couple verses. Um, but, you know, in the days of Moses, it was not really, apart from the time when he was, he went away, you know, uh, up on Mount Sinai, when he came down and there were corruption is set in, you know, and they were dancing and doing all kinds of the things that they should be doing. And they had the golden calf. Apart from that, I mean, corruption in that kind of scale did not set in, although they did have their, their faults, that's for sure. Um, you know, they didn't even enter the promised land because of those, those faults, especially the unbelief that they had, the disobedience that they had. However, um, we don't see like a, a real, what do you call it? Like a corporate corruption that set in and same in, in the book of Joshua as well. But in the book of judges, we do see that KMJJ says, Shalom all Shalom. Good to see you. Welcome. Okay, so the Lord said to who? We don't know, um, but the Lord said to somebody uh, of all the children of Israel, you know, of course, by this time, Moses is long gone. Um, Joshua is gone. Um, and so we just have the children of Israel. And so the Lord said, um, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said, said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. Deal? Deal. And Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up and delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai, Bezek, Adonai again is the... Um, Hebrew for Lord, or Lord of um, Bezek, in Bezek. So we got Adonai, Bezek. Remember back in the book of uh, Joshua, we had Adonai, um, yeah, Adonai, excuse me, Sedek. That's what it was. Adonai Sedek, which was the Lord of Righteousness. Just like how Melchizedek is the king. Melchi, uh, Malach, or Melchi means king. King of righteousness, Sedek, or Sadiq. The righteous, righteous one. So here we have the Lord of 
Bezek, not Sedek, but Bezek, in Bezek, fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Verse 6. Then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Oh, that's a Well, can you imagine doing that? I mean, can you imagine even like that's that's quite. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse 7. And Adonai Bezak said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, used to gather scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. Oh, there is the, there's the answer right there. There's the answer right there. You know, we see, we saw this so many times when, when we were reading through the, uh, the legends of the Jews, right? It's like, it's just, it's always a recurring train of thought. It's like a recurring theme where it's like God repays those who has done evil. Uh, in the same way, God is repay, God repays those who do good. So God, see, he, he's on the throne and judgments are always coming down from the throne. You don't have to wait for judgment day. Although judgment day, that's another whole topic all by itself. But God is on his throne and judgments are always coming down. Those judgments can be for you in blessing or against you. God forbid, right? We need to stay in tune with God, stay in tune with God to ensure that we don't have any cursings that come upon us, but rather the blessings. In this case, Adonai Bezek had a curse come upon him because apparently he had something to do with these 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off and gathering scraps under his table. <sighs> yeah, that would be difficult. I can't even imagine what it would be like to walk without big toes. Things you don't think about, you know? Things you don't think about. As I have done, so God has repaid me. Oh, and that happens. That ha that happens. It always happens unless there's repentance. There's that if in there. If you continue to do what you've been doing, you will reap the harvest, be it good harvest or a not so good harvest. But if you do not continue to do that, you will not reap that harvest, be it a good harvest or bad harvest. Again, the whole concept of that is spelt out for us very clearly in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 19, right through to the end of the chapter. So, God does not always repay evil if that person repents. If that person repents, they can find forgiveness and redemption. Continuing with verse 7 of Judges chapter 1, it says, Then they brought him to Jerusalem, and he, there he died. Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward, the children of, of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains, in the south and in the lowland. Then Judah went against Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was former, formerly Kiriath Arba. Remember, we, we spoke about this before. Kiriath means city. Arba means four, the city of four, basically. Four-fold city. Four-square city. 
It's like the four square gospel. You can call it the four square gospel, the Arba gospel, Arba. And they killed Shashai, Ahiman, and Talmai. From there, they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriath Sefer. Sefer. Okay. Kiriath, again, city. Sefer means book or scroll. The city of, this, of the book. The city of the scroll. Then Caleb said, good to see Caleb. And Caleb said, whoever attacks Kiriath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give my daughter Aksa as wife. And Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So he gave him his daughter Aksa as wife. Now it happened when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? So she said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now the children of the, Ke the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south of Arad, or near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon, and they attacked the Canaanites, who inhabited Zephath, utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Horma. Ashkelon, with its territory, and Ekron, with its territory. So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers. But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland, because they had chariots of iron. They gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said. Then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem, so Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord's with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city uh, was formerly Luz. I wouldn't like to have a. I wouldn't like to live in a city called Luz, but. Verse 4, and when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, please show us the entrance to the city and we will show you mercy. So he showed them the entrance to the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the men, the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city and called its name Luz, which is its name to this day. However, Manasseh, or Manasseh, Manasseh, depends on how you want to pronounce it. Uh, Manasseh or Manasseh would be more of the Hebrew pronunciation. Did not drive out the inhabitants of Beit or Beth Sheon with its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo. And its villages. 
Remember Megiddo, according to the book of Revelation, is the site of the last and final, the great war that is fought on the earth and just before the new heavens and the new earth appear. For the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute. Under tribute in the footnotes says to forced labor but did not completely drive them out. Nor did Ephraim drive the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, or the inhabitants of Nahalol. So the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Again, that would mean forced labor. Nor did Asher, Asher, drive out the inhabitants of Akko, or the inhabitants of Sidon, or of Alab, Akzib, Hebal, Hel, excuse me, Helba, Afik, or Rehob. So the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the end of the land, for they did not drive them out. Nor did the nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beit Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beit Anath. But they dwelt among the Canaanites, Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beit Shemesh and, and Beit Anath were put under tribute to them, forced labor again. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Herez, in Ailon, Ailon, and in Sha'al-Bim. Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph came greater, they were put under tribute. Now the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of Akrabim, from Selah and upward. Judges chapter 2, Israel's disobedience. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I let you up from Egypt. I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. I find it interesting here in this translation, which is the New King James. They got my in capital M, capital M-Y. Um signifying that the translators believe that this is the Lord himself speaking, although it does say the angel of the Lord is the one who spoke. Why have you done this? Therefore, I, I also said, I will, not, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. They have a soft heart, isn't it? 
today, if you say anything, anything like this to people, they would just walk away. They have a soft heart. They're willing to at least listen. Verse 5. Then they called the name of that place Bokim. The word Bokim means weeping. Weeping, literally weeping. And they sacrificed to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had seen all the great works of, of, which, or of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now, again, let me just stop here for just a moment. Take note that the people served the Lord during the days of Joshua and the elders, uh, basically his disciples. Okay, it's like Yeshua and his disciples. Um, so this implies that after the elders, after Joshua and the elders passed away, then the people didn't really serve the Lord that well. Verse 8, now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Herez, in the mountains of Ephraim. I remember we actually um, uh, had a peek at a picture of the uh, uh, tomb of Joshua there, the other video. In the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil. Oh, see, there we are, right there, right there. Didn't take long. See, we don't really see much of this apart from, you know, from the days of Moses through the days of Joshua. You don't see much of this since, you know, the... Since they, uh, the falling away, I guess you would call it, when when Moses went up went up Mount Sinai. But here's like, I mean, this is more than just little mistake here and there. When it says the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, Clutch, good to see you. Says good evening, everyone. Good evening, Clutch. The Tower Times says, "Yep, we'd be losers." Yeah, yeah. If you if you lived in the city lose, I guess you would be losers. That I, that, would, that makes sense. That's good. Uh, the great that's agency when a representative speaks with authority, the authority of the sender. Yeah. So I presume you're talking about the angel who spoke, as if it's the Lord Himself speaking. 1 John 2.26 says the Kenites are supposed to be of the genealogy of Cain. Very interesting. Uh, second, or, excuse me, the great deception, like a son speaking for his father's authority, the angel of the Lord says, my voice with the capital M. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Verse 9. 
So here we go. Corruption is starting to set in. How long does it take? It doesn't take very long. Probably just a matter of days, if not hours. I don't know, but it didn't take very long. Verse 12, and they forsook, actually, I didn't read this part, and they served the Baals or the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. Here we are. We'll see this cycle throughout the Tanakh, right? It's a cycle. It's still going on today. It never stopped. It's a cycle. It's like you humble yourself, you repent, or you're righteous. You do what's right. God blesses you. God blesses you. So it's like you're going, you know, you're going up, right? You're going up. You're going up. And then you get to the point where it's like corruption sets in. Because of pride, maybe you're too blessed. You're too blessed. You forget the Lord somehow. Maybe not so much in your mind, but in your actions. Maybe you're not praying as much, as you, you know, or you're not serving the Lord as much as you used to, or something like that. But then, you know, it gets to the point where it's like corruption sets in, pride sets in, and sin sets in very, very heavy. When that happens, it provokes the Lord to anger, and boom, God, God. God's judgment falls and knocks the people right back down to square one again, right down to nothing, to humility. Verse 13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal. You know, it's another word for Lord, actually, in the um, Canaanite God. And the Ashtaroths, Ashtaroths, which is Canaanite goddess, Ashtaroths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the Lord was against them for their calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. And again, this hap- this is happening right now. Um, today, as I said, you know, in the West, rewind, rewind like, you know, 100 years or more, 150 years. Sure, they didn't have like devices and computers and cell phones like we have today. But they had something way better. I mean, they had something way better. And that's the reason why God blessed the nations of the West so much, according to his word. And people got too pampered, too uh, too blessed, I guess you would call it. Pride set in. People forgot the Lord, even even said hard things against the Lord, you know, how it says in the book of Jude. I think one of the hardest things you could ever say against somebody is that, they, is that they don't exist. Saying that they don't exist or saying or treating them like they don't exist, that's probably the hardest thing ever. It's probably even harder than being rough or rude to somebody. It's actually like, you know, like they don't even exist. You don't even acknowledge their existence. And that's, that's, 
that's what we have a lot of people, of course, in, in the West today uh, that are in that place. In the East, too, in some nations. Um, but like we are, we're on the precipice of, uh, I think we've seen, we've already seen some things that are, you know, that have happened and it will come down harder upon the earth. It will certainly come down harder based upon the holy scriptures of God because people are too obstinate. They're too proud. They won't repent. Find every excuse in the book not to repent because they serve pleasure more than they serve God. That's their, their own pleasure is their God amongst many other gods that they, that people serve, even though they don't view them, view things as God, but they, they do serve lots of gods. Verse 16, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but played the heart with other gods and bowed down to them. See, this is kind of like how we are, like where we are today in much, again, of especially the developed world. They turn quickly from the way in which their fathers walked. And that's what I was just talking about. 150, compare, what's, compare the moral compass today of the moral compass 150 years ago. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked. And let me just say this, and this is something that's very important. How did they turn quickly from the way in which their fathers walked? How? I think it's the same way as what they're doing today. I think they did exactly the same thing. Like, well, that's all. We're better now. We, uh, you know, we know, we know, we know, we know better now. We have modernized. We have progressed. We have advanced past that, past the days like how it was 150 years ago. But really, it's no advancement. There's no progression at all, except towards corruption and incorruption. That's not, that's it. The idea that some somehow they are better than their grandmothers or grand great grandfathers, somehow they're better. Somehow they know better. Where I think the 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 truth of the matter is, their great grandfathers. If they knew, and the old saying is, you know, if they knew what was going on, they'd be turning over in their grave right now. If they knew what their great grandchildren are engaging this, the, the corruptions that their that their and that their descendants are engaging in, I think it would really cause them a lot of concern, to say the least. And I say this. And this is one of these things I remember as I went and I was evangelizing. So I think that um, when someone is in sin, the best thing they because people ask people ask the question like what about my what about my parents or my grandparents or my great grandparents or whatever are they in heaven 
And I would always, I, 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 excuse me, I would always say, if they're in heaven or not, for you to get right with God, to repent, would answer their prayer. If God forbid they're in hell, if God, God forbid, they are recipients of God's wrath, as per John 3.36, if they are recipients of God's wrath, the only comfort, give them as, the only comfort they can get is the comfort of knowing that their prayers are answered. And I've heard about it so many times, I've read about it so many times of people who have claimed that they went to a place that they describe as hell and they and it, it's almost always the same very similar stories, very similar of people who are praying in hell that their friends, that their family members will not go there. Just like how the rich man in hell in Luke chapter 16 was praying that his brothers would not go there. So the put it this way, in, in Luke chapter 16, the rich man in hell, he was in torment. It, According to his own words, he was in torment. But he was praying that his brothers would not go there. So if his brothers got saved, if his brothers repented, obtained forgiveness for their sins, got saved, that would be the only comfort that their brother in hell, that's the, that would be the only way they can comfort their brother in hell. That's the only thing they could do for their brother in hell, the rich man, is to repent. And, and having said that, you know, that's really that's really the best, you know, that's that's really the only thing you could do. Let me see what we have here in the comments. Great Deception says, yeah, we are modern. Christina says, if entropy exists in nature, then it exists in people. We can't possibly be better than our great grandparents. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It reminds me of a saying, you know, it's like, don't ever move a fence or remove a fence, but ask them why, what's the reason why it was there in the first place? So when you got people, especially in government or lawmaking positions, they change the laws. Because they believe that they know better than their great than their great grandparents. It's like they they think they upgrade. They they've upgraded. What they're doing is they're moving the fence, or even scrapping the fence altogether, and that's that's wrong, because our great grandparents have put up fences for a reason, and a lot of times we forget what the what the reason is. Very good, Christina. All right, so continuing. This is Judges chapter 1. Continuing with verse 17, they turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. 
And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out uh, before them any of the nations which Joshua left right, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord. See, this is like the test of um, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. To walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So, again, let's just stop here for a second without going too too fast here. Let's just see what... Um, how would that apply to us today? What would that mean for us today? Perhaps there has been things that are, that are left in our lives. Perhaps... Other people have left things that we have to deal with. And it may be adverse circumstances or adverse people even are confronted with. And so we got to be like Joseph, who always kept faith in God that God was still on his throne and always will be on his throne. And we would will have to see the presence of God, see God working in the in, through thing. That God uses these adversities to test us. Is how it says here. Whether we will keep the ways of the Lord, to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver, deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So sometimes we have things in our lives that are left. Sometimes we have things that are left in our lives. But sometimes God can use that. Judges chapter 3. Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to war, at least those who had not formerly known it, namely the lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who dwelt in, in Mount Lebanon, and from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath, were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. 
Let's just quickly go over to Deuteronomy chapter 13 because, let me see here, Deuteronomy chapter 13, just the first five verses, This it's just so much in line with, with this, this concept of the Torah. If a prophet or dreamer dream of dreams, excuse me, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes true, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let's follow other gods whom you have not known and let's serve them, you shall not listen to that prophet or dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments. Listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken falsely against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of Sarah, drive you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall eliminate the evil from among you. Yeah, so God uses people to test us. Some people believe, and this is just as as an FYI, some people believe that the Apostle Paul was left in the New Testament to test us, to see whether or not we will follow the Lord God and fear him and keep his commandments. Because basically in this context, if anyone leads you away from that concept of following the Lord your God, fearing him and keeping the commandments, that person is, is not truly of God. That, that prophet is not truly of God. That, that dreamer of dreams is not, is not true, truly of God. But rather it is almost like the enemy that God uses uses to test you. It's like how we read here in Judges chapter 3. Moving on with Judges chapter 3, verse 5. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the, the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and they gave their daughters to their sons, and they served the gods. Verse 7. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. How many times have we read this so far? Just in the past couple chapters. Judges. Chapter 2. Judges chapter 3. Israel's doing evil, doing evil, doing evil all over and over and over again. They're just sinking further. They're, they're sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. Without Joshua, without Joshua's elders, without those men of God. Corruption set in fast. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals or the Baals and the Asherahs. Asherah, name or symbol of for Canaanite goddesses. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and sold them into the hand of Kushan Risathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan, Risathaim, eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel, who delivered them, Othniel, the son of 
Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. So this judge, Othniel, Othniel, okay, this judge was, what's the word I'm looking for? Was certified by the Lord because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. On him. Remember in the book of Acts, it talks about how that when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon people, that's like a sign of certifi certification. God accepts that person. And he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, excuse me, Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan, or Cushan Rishathayim. So that the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Ehud, verse 12. And the children of Israel, again, an onion layer upon layer upon layer of evil here. And the children of Israel, again, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried, Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, Benjamite, excuse me, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Notice we have a, um, we have a pattern here. The children of Israel, God got angry. God sold them into their to the land of their enemies, to their enemies, cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard their cries and sent a deliverer. And round and round, round and round we go. So we got Ehud, verse 16. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was a double-edged and a cubit in length. A cubit would be 18 inches. So that's almost like a mini sword. And fastened it under his clothes on his right side, right thigh. See. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute, but he himself turned back from the stone images that that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence. And all who attend went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Hmm, sounds like air conditioner or something. Then Ehud said, I have, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust, thrust it into his belly. Even, even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed up over the blade, for he did draw, draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. 
Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came and uh, came to look. And to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. So they waited till they were, until they were embarrassed and still, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them. And there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and, and escaped to Seira. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. That's quite a long time. Shamgar. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. Judges chapter 4. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. They're going deeper and deeper, aren't they? They're going deeper and deeper into corruption. Two, then the Lord sold them into the hand of Yabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera who dwelt in Haroseth, Hagoim. Haroseth actually would be in the Hebrew, Hazagoim, the Gentiles, basically. Haroseth, um, just to look it up here. It's, yeah, here it says of the Gentiles, of the Gentiles. Hagoim, the Gentiles. Hasarath, which in the Hebrew means woodland, woodland. Woodland of the Gentiles is really literally what it means. So the commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in of the Gentiles. Makes a little bit more sense. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Yabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came to her, to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, son of Noam from Kadesh in Nali. 
Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun, and against you will I deploy Sisera, the commander of Yabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. Okay, let me before we go too far here, let's just let's just when you're reading the scriptures, and this, this is a good a good rule of thumb, you gotta ask what was actually said and what was not said. We, we read just uh, just a couple chapters ago, right? We read how the Lord actually, let me just go back here. Actually, last chapter, Judges chapter 3, verse 10. And we read, we read before how there were, Judges that God himself appointed. Now, here in this context, it does not say, remember, ask yourself the question, what does the scriptures actually say? What does it not say? In this context, talk about Deborah. It does not say the Lord put her there. As in, it does not say that the Lord actually it was the Lord's choice. I say that because there's a lot of arguments using Deborah. Say, look at what well, Deborah was a judge of Israel. Whoa, hold on a second. Deborah was a prophetess, and that's that's undisputed, and that's awesome. That's cool. But I mean, it doesn't it does not dispute her? I mean, it does not say that she was a false prophet. Okay, but. In the same time, the children of Israel were very, very wicked. They're the ones that chose at least some of the judges. Just like how today we have people on in different countries all around the world that vote in some pretty bad rulers, pretty, pretty bad leaders into their country. So I wouldn't say that it's really the Lord's, the Lord's choice per se. It's more like the it, the people's choice. And that's the way it was with Deborah. He does not say that God put her there. Not like how it says in other places where God put certain judges there. Just to point that out. Okay, so. Verse 8. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites to, excuse me, and pitched his tent near 
the tabarith tree at Zanaim, which is beside Kadesh. And they supported, excuse me, and they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all, all the people who were with him from Herosheth Hagoyim, that would be, the, again, the woodland of the Gentiles, to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera in all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harosheth, Hagoyim, again, the woodland of the Gentiles. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Yael, or Jael, Yael, the wife of the Kenite, the Kenite. For there was peace between Yabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Yael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Blanket in the footnotes, a rug. A rug. Then he said to her, Give me a little water to, to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here? You shall say no. Then Yael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went soft to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. Woo, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's some woman. That, that's some woman, I tell you. That, verse 22. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, Yael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera, dead with a pagan's temple. So on that day, God subdued Yabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Yabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Yabin, king of Canaan. Now remember, all of these different wars that they're fighting now, it, according to Judges chapter 3, it's all just, it's God's really sovereign will that they are tested in this way to keep them in line with the Torah. Look at how far, look how Look how much God does. Look how far it goes to, to, to 
to be conducive to obey the Torah, to make it easy or to try to, dr- to, try to drive people to the Torah. Judges chapter 5, verse 1. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willing, willingly offer themselves, bless them. O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched out, or when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled, heavens poured, the clouds also poured, the mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Yael, the highways were deserted. And the travelers walked along byways. Life, village life ceased. It ceased in Israel. Until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was the gates. It's the sequence here. Choose new gods, you get war. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, who walk along the road from far, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake! Awake, Deborah! Awake! Awake! Sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples, from Machir, rulers came down. From Zebulun, those who dwell, those who bear, excuse me, the recruiter's staff. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As Issachar, so was Barak. Sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why, why did you sit among the sheep to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan? Remain on ships. Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Zebulun is a people jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. The kings came and fought. 
The kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. Remember here in the script, often the stars are used as a picture of um, angels, angels or ever other heavenly beings. Verse 21, the torrent of Kishon swept them away. That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. Oh, my soul, march on in strength. Then the hooves pounded, galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse, Merah, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to the help of the Lord. To the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed among women is Yael, the wife of Haber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water, she gave milk. She brought out cream in a lord, lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet, he sank. He fell. He lay still. At her feet, he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out the lattice. Why is this chariot so long in coming? Why carries the clatter of, of his chariots? Isis ladies answered her, Yes, herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil to every man a girl or two? For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of, of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of, of the looter. Let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in its full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years. It's, it's still a fair amount of time. That's like a generation, actually a couple generations. Judges chapter 6, the Midianites oppressed Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, why do the children, why is the children of Israel doing so much evil? They don't have the leader like they used to have. They don't have the Moses. They don't have the Joshua. They don't have the elders. Okay. And again, this doesn't really do, the fact that a lot of people use Deborah as a point of argument, uh, it doesn't really help their cause because of the, the, the context. Okay. It's not like, it's not like things really changed that much. It was, it was it's in that context, it was, the people were still in great corruption. Again, chapter six, then the people, the children of Israel did 
evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves. Made, excuse me, made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come, would come up. Also, Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. They would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet. It's, it always happens like this, doesn't it? It always happens like this. When the people are humble, cry out to the Lord. They pray. God answers. So God sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, quote, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the, hand of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you. And gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Unquote. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the tabernacle tree, which is which was which was in Ophrah. Wouldn't you wouldn't you like to see that? I mean, but can you imagine say, hey, look under that tree. Who's that sitting down there? That's the angel of the Lord. Which belonged to, uh, okay, sat under the tabernacle tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Yoash the Abiezrite. One Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord. Now, in the footnotes, it says, Hebrew, I used of man. Hmm. Again, very interesting. Oh, Adonai, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Good question, isn't it? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Another good question. But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him. And said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? 
I got to stop here for a second. Because once again, look, at once again, once again, the angel of the Lord is the one that's speaking here. And then it says, the Lord turned to him. Question, do you think that it was the angel that turned to him and said that? Or do you think it's talking about two different entities? Do you think that it's talking about the angel of the Lord being one entity and the Lord himself being there as well, being another entity? But the way it's put, it sounds very much like it was the angel because then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh my Lord, can I how can, can I save Israel? Again, oh Adonai, oh Adonai. I see. Hold on a second. Ah. So we get Adonai used of man, and Adonai used of God down here, okay? So so the first time when Gideon spoke to the angel, he was speaking to them to a man. So it appeared, now it looks more like two different entities. Oh, Adonai used of man. So I'm speaking to man. And then later when the Lord turned to him, he's like, oh, Adonai. Use of God. How can I say Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am least in my father's house. Then the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to, the, said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it, that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring you or bring out of my uh, bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. Now, another question. This is another question. And you know, we we I spoke of this several times, but here's another, here's another one. I've never really, I've never referenced this or thought about it this way until just now. If the Lord is omnipresent, how does that make sense? Where Gideon said to the Lord, can you wait here while I go and get an offering for you? And, he, and, and, and the Lord's like, I'll wait until you come back. I'll wait until you come back. Just, just a little side note. Just a little, just a little uh, note to put in your margin there. Verse nineteen. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put in a put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree, and presented them. Uh, terebinth. I think before I said tabernacle, it's terebinth. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. The angel of the Lord put out the end 
of the staff that was in his hand. There's a capital. And he and touched the meat and unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. There's the consuming fire there. There's the consuming fire. Verse 22. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God. So we see we got Lord with an uh, uh, one like capital L, and then we have O-R-D, not in capitals, um, which typically is translated this way with um, from Hebrew Adonai. And we got the capitals of God, just like how sometimes we have the capitals of Lord, like up here, which is actually translated from the exact same Hebrew word, although it's translated two different ways here. We got translated Lord up here, translated God down here, which is the four-letter name of God, the Tetragrammaton, the yad he wau or yud he vav if you want to put it in more of a modern way of saying it. So, the, uh, so Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, O Adonai Yahuwah, or, or Adonai Yahweh, if you want to put it that way. For I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now it seems, let me just stop here for a second. It seems like Gideon is very surprised here. If not surprised, he is shocked that he could he could see the angel of the Lord face to face and still basically still live. So again, the angel of the Lord, is that the Lord himself or is that another entity? If it's not the Lord himself, why would he singular why would he single out the fact that he surprised that he actually saw the angel of the Lord face to face and not the, the Lord himself face to face? Because it says earlier the Lord turned to him, right? Just another question. I'll get to your comments just a little bit. I mean, just another question. We find this all the way through the the, the Tanakh, though. It's like Angel of the Lord and Lord in, is very much like this, just the same kind of thing. Verse 23, this is, again, Judges chapter 6, verse 23. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you, or Shalom Alechem. Do not fear, you shall not die. See, now, again, look at it's like It's like these, this, the angel of the Lord and Lord, is used interchangeably here. It just seems like that. If not, it's just very close to being used interchangeably. Verse 24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. Yahuwah Shalom. Yahuwah Shalom. Yahweh Shalom. Yod Yod he wow he shalom. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of Abiezrites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal, 
that your father has and cut down the wooden image that's beside it. Or the, that would be the Asherah pole, I suppose. Yeah. Asherah. And build an altar to the Lord God on top of this rock in the, in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the image which you have, which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his household and the men of the city too much to do uh, to do by to do it by day, he did it by night. Gideon destroys the altar of Baal. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal, or Baal, torn down. And the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. The second bull was being offered on the altar, which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Yoash, has done this thing. But the men of the city, bring out your son that he may die. Because he has torn down the altar of Baal. And because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Yoash said to all who against him, would you plead for Baal? Why would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Yerubal, or Jerubbabel. Jerubbabel? Jerubbabel, Jerubbabel, I guess we'll call it. Um, let Baal plead. Let Baal plead. Yerubal, let saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Yezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and the Abiezrites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers through all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. The sign of the fleece. So, so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. He rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together. He wrung the dew out of the fleece and a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not, be angry, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only 
let it, let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. I know a lot of you guys, you know of the concept of putting out a fleece before the Lord. Um, there might be some of you that are listening that is not familiar with this concept. Uh, actually, I heard about it first. when I, It was back in 1992. A, a friend of mine, I used to... Um, I used to spend a lot of time with this with this particular gentleman, and uh, he introduced me to this concept. And that is like, if you're not really, really 100% sure about God's will on something or God's word for you, now I'm not saying you should do this all the time, but, and you know what, really, in the context of scripture, there's only only one person did this really, apart from the, the casting of lots. I mean, they cast lots, and I guess God, you know, that's kind of a, similar in the way showed people through natural means that. But um, there's the concept of laying on a fleece before the Lord. So let's say you're faced with a situation you don't know whether you should do it or not. Um, you pray and you lay on a fleece like this. Now, again, I'm not saying you should do this often. It's not something that we read about very much in the Bible at all, if anything, apart from this particular story. But the, uh, just just to let you guys know that the concept does exist. It's like if, if something, think of something that's just almost impossible to happen, like Gideon. I'll put the fleece out. The fleece would be full, like soaked with dew, but everything else would be dry. And then the next night, the opposite, like test it completely both ways and let God show you um, by putting on a fleece. It wouldn't be a fleece, literally. Oh, it could be. It could be a, it could be a literal fleece. You could do that. I don't know of anybody who has done that, but I suppose uh, I wouldn't doubt a lot of people have done that over the, over the uh, thousands of years that have passed since Gideon. So some people, they, they just think of something else. Um, you know, I know a guy, actually that same guy that I, that, um, I mentioned, I referred to one of it, one time he put out, he quote unquote, put out a fleece. I think one of the fleeces he put out was like, if, uh, Lord, if you want me to do this or Lord, if you, you know, if, if this, if this is what you want, God, or this is what you said, then let so-and-so call, right? You know, Something like that, like somebody that would be almost it would be almost impossible for them to call, like they they, they never call, um, that kind of thing. So, just to just to let you guys know of the concept, if you're not familiar with it already, Judges chapter seven. Then El or Yaru Yarub Yarub Baal Gideon. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Harod, so that so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them, by the hill of Moreh, in the in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, "The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me." Whoa. Let's, I got to stop here for a second. 
I gotta stop here for a second. Think about that. <laughs> Talk about testing. You know what? It's like this. It's like this, right? We just read about how God repays. <laughs> it's like Gideon, Gideon tested the Lord with the fleece. It's like the Lord's testing Gideon now, in a way. It's like, okay, you've got way too many people here. In your army, let's get rid of almost everybody. What? Let's get rid of like hundreds of them. What? How can we fight the war like that? But you see, the purpose too is that God knew that if it was impossible with men and it still happened, then God can get the glory for it. And he still works that way. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, even the Apostle Paul mentioned this particular, you know, let's go there. This particular concept. I know not very, very often do I turn to Paul's epistles, but this particular concept is what he brought out here. Um First Corinthians chapter one, verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. In other words, in, in almost like Gideon, not with many, a, a great army, lest the power of God, lest God won't get the glory kind of thing. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, foolishness, but unto us, which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Again, we got Paul here always referring to, well, not always, but he often appeals to the authority of Tanakh. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? In other words, the wisdom and the knowledge of the world of the carnal, carnal knowledge is nothing to God, foolishness to God. Carnal, worldly wisdom is foolishness to God. For after that, in the in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, by worldly wisdom, that is, knew not God. In other words, it was it was in God's wisdom he made it so that the world's wisdom didn't cut it just like how in God's wisdom he made it so that Gideon's army was too big it, it, he couldn't work with Gideon's army it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe just like it pleased God by the few of Gideon's army after he sent a lot of them away to win the battle. For uh, for, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we, pre we preach Christ crucified, the Jews a stumbling block unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the wisdom of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see 
your calling, brothers, how that not many wise men after the flesh, in other words, according to worldly standards, not many mighty, in other words, not many strong, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things, just like he chose, like we're, we're just going to read here how he chose, hey, Gideon, your army is way too big, even though it seems small already. But hey, you know what? You think it's small? I'm telling you, it's way too big. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. Has God chosen, yes, the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are? That no flesh should glory in his presence. The same concept as we read here. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me. In Judges chapter 7 verse 2. Same concept. That no flesh should glory in his presence. In other words, so that nobody can brag. But of him you are in Christ, who is of who of God is made us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, uh, he that glorifies, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, de declaring unto you the wisdom of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, except Jesus Christ, him crucified. And I was with you in wisdom, in, excuse me, in weakness. I was with you in weakness and in fear. Like, again, it reminds me of the story of Gideon, what we're just reading about right now, weakness and fear, few in number, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Same kind of concept here, Judges chapter 7. So that your faith would not stand in the strength of men, but in the, but in the strength of God. Go back to Judges, verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are, who are with you are too many for me to give to the dominions into, into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for herself against me, saying, My hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Ooh, that's a lot of cowards, isn't it? That's, that's over two thirds. That's over two thirds. <laughs> so over two-thirds of Gideon's army was cowards. Verse 4, the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, 
And those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And he sent away all Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was was below him in the valley. Wow. Um, so he started with 32,000. 32,000. Um, yeah, so 22,000 left. 10,000 remained. It further up with 32,000. Uh, and he only ended up after that, after everything was said and done with 300, which is less than 1%. Less than 1% of what he started with. <laughs> Talk about testing, right? Talk about testing. That's amazing. And let me just say as well, um, um, yeah, before I get too far, there is the theory that God chose the men who did not lap like a dog just because they'd be better at war because they're they're more they could they could see things but if your face is on the ground all if your face is you know on the like on the ground more or less drinking water you're not going to be very good in in war but if you if you're if you're thirsty and you can you know still keep still be very much aware of what's going going on around you. You can still see everything and still drink water at the same time. Then you have a, you have an edge for sure. Verse nine, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the cap camp for I have delivered it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp, Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and after hands shall be strengthened to go on against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their armies were without, their, excuse me, their camels, excuse me, were without number. As the sand by the sea, by the seashore, in multitude. Again, I got to think to myself: you, know, you have an opposing army who's basically without number, and you started with thousand. Like I guess in Gideon's mind, thirty-two thousand is like nothing compared to a countless, um, um, countless army. Um, it, it's then to to whittle it down to only 300, like less than 1% of, of what he started with. Definitely, um, you'd have to be trusting God for that. Verse 13, and when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream, 
To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing but the sword of Gideon, the son of Yoash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he You ever had that happen to you? Have you ever had that happen where you heard a prophecy and it just made you worship and you just wanted, I mean, literally just to get on, get on your face before God? That's an amazing thing. That is an amazing thing. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he delivered the 300 men. Excuse me. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come, to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. And I blow the trumpet, and, and, and all who are with me, then you shall also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, Serve the Lord and of Gideon. Notice here that the, the sword of is in italics, which means that's not in the original language or the original Hebrew. Uh, so literally, it, it only says the Lord and of, Gideon, and of Gideon. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried and fled. The whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew, their tr blew the trust, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the, the army fled to Beth Acacia toward Zerera, as far as the border of Abel Mahola by Tabath. And, and the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and, and all Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Then messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Bet Bara and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Bet Bara and the Jordan. And they captured two princes, Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And they killed Oreb at the Mount of Oreb, or excuse me, at the Rock of Oreb. And Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on, 
on the other side of the Jordan. Judges chapter 8. This is we'll, we'll continue this tomorrow. The Gideon subdues the Midianites. Very awesome story that Gideon himself actually, um, Gideon himself actually, with him and 300 men, he caused the, the enemy army to destroy themselves, right? He caused the enemy army to destroy themselves. Let's see what we got here in the comments. Okay. Byron says, Shalom. Good to see you, Byron. Long time no see. Hope everything's well with you. Great Deception says, that's interesting about Paul. <laughs> Christina started eating. Started eating at the wrong time. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry about that. The Great Deception says that's interesting. He was left-handed, so he he was able to sneak the dagger in. They were searching for right-handed hiding places on people. Very interesting. Yes, absolutely. The Great Deception says, I think when Yeshua was tempted, worship me. I will give you these kingdoms power. He didn't. Leaders of today say, okay. You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of people are like that. You look at what's going on in the world today. And I was thinking, actually, I was thinking a lot about that in the past few days. Some of the leaders in the world, if not most of them, if not all of them, uh, I mean, you know, at least some of them uh, are very, very demonic to say the least. Christina says, I, I always wonder if they realize it, it was Satan offering them power. Yeah, you know what? A lot of people don't really realize. A lot of people do not realize that, that they're serving Satan. Likewise, a lot of people do not realize that they have deep devils too. They don't realize that they have evil spirits. I've seen that happen. I used to go to a church where... There was this one lady, talk about Deborah. There was this one lady, um, and she, for some reason, there was always evil spirits that would manifest around this lady. Now, this lady was not in her, I'm not saying her, she was, you know, manifesting, but for some reason, evil spirits would manifest around her. And so it happened so often, and she was actually one of the teachers in the Bible school of the church I used to go to. And uh, it happens so often that people would actually basically line up and just ask her, do I have evil spirits? Do I have evil spirits? Because so many people, these are people who were Christians dead. And this was a church, the church I used to go to was a church that was very, quote unquote, on fire for God. I mean, people that were like really dedicated to the Lord, lots of young people that would go there. Um, this would be back in early early 90s, okay? Mid-90s, early 90s. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't some of the churches that we have to, this church that I'm talking about really doesn't exist anymore. But, but anyway, so, I mean, the whole idea of people having evil spirits makes me think of that. Makes me, in fact, I, I told this story before, I'm not sure how many of you heard this, but, that same church, um, there's this, this young guy, he was younger than me, excuse me, he was younger than me, 
And um, he seemed to be like a really nice guy. Like, I mean, he was a really nice guy. I'm not saying he wasn't. He was a nice guy. And I didn't know him very well. Like I wasn't really close to him. I wasn't like, he wasn't like my best friend or anything like that. But um, I would talk to him every once in a while. You know, just a casual, hey, how you doing? And yada, 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 like every week, whatever. Um, and then one church service, all of a sudden, it was like after the service, there was an evil spirit that manifested in somebody up front. And this guy would be screaming and um, you'd have uh, like, you'd have all these ushers and these kind of people that would all gather around because it, it, sometimes you'd take a lot of people to hold someone down while they're casting evil spirits out of them. So a lot of times it was get these big guys, some of these big ushers and stuff to hold this guy down. This guy's screaming and, you know, they're casting the evil spirit out of him. And I'm thinking, who is it? Who's this? What, who has this evil spirit? Well, yeah, you know, it happened to be that guy that seemed to be so nice, so soft, right? He was so, so soft-spoken, you know, just so soft. It seemed to be like a nice guy. But he had evil spirits. No doubt about it, he had evil spirits. So, yeah, a lot of people don't realize. A lot of people don't realize. Yeah, Christina says, I always wonder if they realize it's Satan offering them power. Yeshua knew who was offering, but does Satan, but does Satan also masquerade as an angel of light, like Paul says? Yeah, I, I do believe so. Absolutely, for the most part, for sure. Sheepdog, Sheepdog Ministries. Will says, "Shalom, brother." I'm sorry I haven't joined the last few weeks. I've been destroyed at work and haven't been getting off till late. Yeah, well, shalom. Welcome. Good to see you, brother. No problem, brother. I hear what you're, you know, sometimes life life happens. So no problem. Good to see you. Blessings. Um, yeah, like uh, without, without really reading uh, out some of these things out loud. Um, you know, I'll tell you this. One thing I've learned, I've learned this. You know how you you you, you know something, but then you then it ha- you know it even more. Like after you see, like four or five years ago, uh, I saw this with my own eyes, where it's like the media. I'm talking about face to face with with people from the media, and how much they hide the truth hide things, how much they self-censor and censor and all kinds of other things. And so over the years, especially what happened in Canada, not too long ago there as well. Like I've been watching a lot of, when that was, when that was going on, I watched a lot of live streams on live streams. It's hard to hide what's really going on. Um, especially when you got someone who's doing a live stream, that's, you know, you're just your average Joe, right? So it's hard to hide it. So I I was watching a lot of these live streams and it's just absolutely jaw-droppingly shocking how much the media lies and a lot of the politicians lie about what, what happened there. And so, I mean, it's just another, another 
reason, another, it's just more evidence that whatever the media tells you, it's, it's like, you got to ask the question, or you, put it this way. You take what the media tells you and the exact opposite of what they tell you is usually the truth. I mean, that's how it seems anyway. That's how it seems. It's really, really, you know, the good guy is really the evil guy. And the evil guy is really the good guy. And that's, yeah, what can I say? Jeff, Jeff, good to see you, brother. Says, shalom, long day on the West Coast today. Blessings, good to see you here. Andrew says, what happened to the reading of the book of John? That is actually scheduled, Lord willing. Lord willing, we will do that, Arab Shabbat. We'll do that Friday night. We will, I'm not, I'm not promising to read the entire book of John, but rather just do an overview of John, talk about John. For those of you who have been here a lot, you know, on the live streams, you know that it's a subject that frequently comes up. And so I want to just come to the table with, with an open mind and we want to come to the table as, as objective as possible, as unbiased as possible. And let's look at the gospel, John, look at some of the things, well, ask questions, ask questions. And, you know, we'll talk about it. Everybody will talk about it. And I think that, uh, that we'll all learn, right? We'll all learn. Jeff says gas is about $5 today. It's crazy. Five days ago, it was three eighty nine. Yeah. Um, Sheepdog Ministries says, off, off subject, but do you have an, an opinion on Jacob taking the blessing? Anyone reading that story knows his mother was at fault, but do you have an opinion on how that blessing worked? I can tell you what I'm, what's, what I'm thinking. Um, I think that it was God's plan right from the very beginning, actually from, from before the beginning. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say I hear, I know what you mean by it was his mother's fault. Um, I, 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 I totally understand what you're saying. Um, I wouldn't, I think maybe it might be a better thing to say it was, it was his mother that was responsible for it. Uh, because I'm not sure if I would say it was, it, you know, it's just, it's her, his or her fault or anybody's fault. The reason why I say that is because of the scripture that says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And that was spoken like before they were even born, while they're still in the womb. And that opens another subject as well, because that's Romans chapter 9. Uh, Paul talks about that. And it seems to me, and I, I, I mentioned this on my when I went through the book of Romans a long time ago, how many years ago was that now? When I went through the book of Romans uh, on YouTube, I mentioned this on one of those videos. Um, it seems that when Paul talks, uh, 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 please understand, I'm not making a statement of fact here. 
I'm just saying it seems like this is what it's like. When Paul talks about not by works, it seems, at least from the Romans 9 perspective, when he, when he says not by works, it's not what a lot of Christians believe. Like it's not because, you know, like, Will, you and I both know very well what the modern Christian interpretation of that is, right? Like, well, you don't have to obey the Torah anymore. But, but I think that it could be, again, I'm, I want to be very careful how I say this. I don't want to, I want to communicate my thoughts here properly. So when Paul talks about not by works, it seems like he's talking about like a very hyper form, a very, a very extreme form of predestination, where it's like Jacob always came out on top. Jacob, because he was loved of God, okay, he seemed to he got the blessing. He got more than the blessing. I mean, he, he seemed to always, he got the best. He got the best in life. Whereas Esau got the worst in life because God loved Jacob and hated Esau from the womb, not by works. So it wasn't works that, that Jacob did that earned him the love and the favor of God that that led to him getting that blessing. And likewise with Esau, it wasn't works. It wasn't anything he did that caused God to quote unquote hate him and put in give him the shortest straw and every you know and everything. Um and I'm not sure if that answers your question. If you mean, let me see, you got some more comments here. I mean, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of sharing what's on my mind. Yeah. Will says, um, I mean, it's probably something we can't understand, but it's interesting when you think about it, because why could Esau get a, why could Esau get a blessing as well? Made me ponder today. Yeah, um, having read that, I I I rest in the whole idea of it's just God's sovereign will. Like He doesn't. This reminds me of back in the days when I used to be very very evangelical in the sense of I would go out and I would, I would go out on the streets, talk to everybody I'd see on the street. Like I'd make a day of it, just go out on the streets and just, Hey, excuse me. Do you know Jesus? Hey, excuse me. Do you know, do you believe in God? You know, and talk to people and <laughs> handle, you know, books and plant pamphlets and all kinds of stuff. Just because I just was just, you know, fired up like that. Um, and going to malls and, and I even went door to door, you know, not a JW, but I went door to door, over a thousand, what was it? Over a thousand doors, just talking to people. And, you know, back in those days, I, I had the idea that God, you know, that I'm trying to get everybody saved, just trying to get everybody saved. And it's difficult because a lot of people are just, 
I, I found freedom after doing this for so long. I found freedom and peace in no in, in just resting in the idea that some people are just never going to make it. They're just never going to, they're just not cut out for it. They're East they're like Esau. They're just not. They're just not. It they talking to them about the things of God or the, the truth, whatever is like trying to teach um, a cow how to ride a bicycle. It's just that it's not going to work. Just not going to work. So I said all that to say, it's just what's going through my mind right now. Um, I think a lot, I think there are people like Esau that for lack of a better term, I guess you might say objects of wrath, quote unquote, objects of wrath made to be destroyed. If you want to put it that way, um, in accordance with Romans chapter nine. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's just like, it's just God said, I choose Jacob and I, I choose the Esau, you know, it's my choice that Esau is the one that's going to have the, <laughs> he's going to have the worst of life. Okay. He's going to have the worst of life. And I'm going to make sure he's got, he's got the worst. He's going to miss it here. He's going to miss it there. He's going to miss it everywhere. And uh, I find it interesting, by the way, um, not sure how many of you know this, but Esau in Islam, even he's barely even known, if not even known. He's like his, he's like pretty much erased from from that part of the religion of you know of the, what they call Abrahamic religions. Um, Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh. It's the same kind of situation. We got Pharaoh. Uh, how it said, how God said that multiple times. Um, that God hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. It's like he had no choice. So I think it's I think it's a, I think it's a a case of why did the potter make the make this vessel like this and that vessel like that? I think that's really where it's at where it's at is like it's God's God's sovereign choice. He does what he wants to do to whomever he wants to do it. And so um Yeah, I I don't know what else to say, Will. It's it's excellent question. And I know it's a question that a lot of people would not be able to to swallow. I mean, the answer to the question would be something that a lot of people would not be able to swallow. I, I get that. And a lot of people have a lot of problem with that kind of the way that I'm talking. And then I, a lot of people have a lot of problem with that. But I think that that's really what the scriptures show us. I don't know what else to say, Will. Thank you for the question. Very good question. Yeah, it's a different way. Like, it, Different people look at it different ways. And so we got Will says, yeah, God knew Esau's attitude would be from the start. I understand that. But think about the blessing part. 
it's a it's a very interesting part of that story when you think about it. Yeah, it is very. I I I I agree with you. Um, I. I think like the first the first thing you said there, um, Esau's like God knew what Esau's attitude would be in the, from the start. And I I know that that's like a hybrid between you know the free will and God predestining Esau to to be hated, so to speak, or to be the take the they always have the shortest straw. Um. Personally, my own opinion, uh, I, I tend to lean the other way. I tend to go like, well, you know, they say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I believe you can make it drink. <laughs> I know it's, I believe you can. I believe when, you, you know, before you get to the water, load his food with lots of salt. You can make it drink. And so... It's like this too. You put, I know Sheepdog Ministries, you got, a, you got a dog, you got a really hungry dog, really, really hungry dog. And you can make it choose one bowl over the other. You can make it choose one dish over the other dish in the sense of if you put a dish of, you know, like ground beef in front of a hungry dog, and simultaneously you put a dish of raw broccoli in front of a hungry dog, you know what it's going to go for. You're making it, so to speak, quote unquote, making it. You're not really giving it a choice is what I mean. And so I think that God can do that with people. I think that God can salt people's oats to make them drink, or he can do the opposite. He can, you know, he can make them so that they're not thirsty when they get to the water um, through many different ways. He can make them, he can make them choose even though there's a choice, so to speak. He can, he can, he can give, uh, let me just, let me just uh, reword that. I believe that God can, can set up the circumstances in people's lives so that even though technically speaking they would have a free choice, a free will, yet the circumstances around them would determine their choice. Like again with the dog, the circumstances around that dog, you know, you put raw carrots, raw bro broccoli, a bowl of uh, you know apples, and then steaming hot beef or whatever steak right in front of the dog. You know what it's going to go for. Um, so really, you're giving the dog a choice in a way, but really you're not, because you know what it's going to choose because it's, because of its its DNA determines what it's going to choose. So that's how I look at it when it comes to Jacob and Esau and that whole situation. I think that God, um, I don't necessarily again. This is just my own my own way of looking at it, but. I don't necessarily think that God um, predestined Esau because he knew his what he was going to choose already. Because he can he can put different he can put him in a different circumstance. 
he, he can make the choice irresistible for him to choose good apart from evil. He can make the circumstance irresistible for him not to lose the blessing. There's many different things. Yeah, Sheepdog Ministries. It's like the blessing was some kind of ticket that could not be changed or taken back. Yeah, that's something I never, you know, I haven't put a whole lot of thought on that, but it is true. We read about it in Hebrews chapter 12. Esau sought it to be, he wanted it back, but he couldn't get it back. Um. And that, again, I'm just thinking that could be because of how God set it up. I love Jacob. I hate Esau. He just put him in that. He just, the circumstances in his life was such that it was irreversible. Irreversible. For, one, for whatever reason or reasons, Jacob wouldn't sell it back. Um, whatever reasons it would be. Those are just my thoughts. Uh, well, that's a deep, you know, that's, that subject is, is a very, very deep subject. It's probably one of the most deep, deepest subjects you can talk about. It's like free will versus creation. So I, I believe, let me just say this because it sounds like kind of, I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to, I'm just, I don't know. When I, sometimes I talk in one way and it makes it sound like I'm way over this side, but I'm not, right? So what I'm trying to say is, like, I believe in free will, but not free will in the absolute sense. I believe that there is limited free will. It depends on how you define free. It depends on how, how, what that means, right? You know, so I mean, if you're out, the only way for you to really have free will in the, in the, the uttermost absolute sense of the word free, where you can just do anything you want to do without any kind of pre-programming DNA or bias or nurture or nature, doesn't matter. You're not getting any kind of external, you know, nothing sways you one way or the other between one choice or the other choice, free will being as free as possible. The only way for someone to, in my way, in my way of thinking is the only way for someone to have a hundred percent absolute free will is only thing in existence. <laughs> if, if, if you're the only person in existence, basically, if you're God, <laughs> basically, if you're, if you're the only one in existence, then you'd have free will as free. You could do whatever you wanted. Whatever you wanted, you wouldn't care what other, what other people think, what other people see. I mean, you can you can run around the world. In, I mean, you can do whatever you want to do, right? Um, nobody can right now in the world. Nobody can do whatever they want to do without getting arrested, even if it's innocent. I mean. The very fact that we, I mean, everything, 
yeah, without getting into too much detail, but as soon as somebody else is in the picture, as soon as, as soon as there's another person in the universe apart from you, that means free will is limited, limited. And it depends on how much, where the limits are. Some with, I think that God expands the limits of some people. So they're more free and other people are not. See lots of comments. And let me just say this too, before I get to, uh, before I get too far from the subject, I don't agree. I think with Calvinism and Arminianism, I think they both have points that are wrong. Okay, so there are things about Arminianism I think that's wrong. I think there's things about Arminianism that I think that are, that are wrong in my own, the way I look at things. See, so we got some interesting conversations here going on in the live chat. Will says, I agree with you about limited free will. Pharaoh had limited free will. Yeah, uh, God, built, uh, God built him up to show his power by putting him in his place. All right. Okay, um, I'm going to wrap it up. Tomorrow night we have uh, Jordan. Jordan Thomas, uh, Lord willing, he'll be on. He'll be doing some some music. Uh, he said, I don't think he's with us tonight. As far as I see, he's not with us. I don't know. But um, he wrote a new song. I, I'm not sure if he's going to be singing that song. I hope he does tomorrow night. Um, and he'll be doing some music. And uh, after that, we'll be getting into uh, scriptures again. Uh on Friday evening. So tomorrow's Wednesday. Thursday will be like a normal, as far as I see, normal um, weeknight. Uh, Friday evening, Lord willing, we'll spend the night talk talking about the Gospel of John. I mentioned this stuff before. I mentioned this stuff before. But... Um, I think that it's, it's a very interesting topic. And again, uh, what the position I'm taking, I'm just, I just want to come to the table. I want to present different things. Like, for example, and I, I don't want to get into talk, talking about it right now, but let's like, for example, like, why is the Gospel of John so different than the other Gospels? In the sense that 90%, over 90% of, of it is not found in any other Gospel. That's one question. We got lots to talk about, right? Um, why is it that the his, historical? Why isn't that it's not in the same? The sequence of events are not the same. Why is it that the crucifixion is on a different day? The the and all kinds of different things. Uh, lots of things to talk about. Um, that's just a little bit of a hint of some of the things we're going to talk about and kind of compare it with the other gospels, and just. That's, I mean, just sit around, basically sit around table, so to speak, and pull out the Bible and talk about it. And I think it's going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be very interesting. So, and as always, on Saturday, we'll have our normal 
I guess normal, as you might, excuse me, might want to call it normal um, Shabbat sometime in the next. I'm not sure when it is. I'm not sure if it's going to be this Sunday or next Sunday or whenever kind of. I'm not sure what Sunday it's going to be, but there is a Sunday where there is uh, another person from TikTok wants to um, actually took up took up my challenge of um, quote unquote. Deb- I don't think it'd probably be more of a discussion than a debate, but it's a um, um, it's a lady that wants to to uh, to talk about it. And when that happens, it'll be a Sunday, and according to her, she can only do Sunday early, like around noon. So that's something that we, we will, Lord willing, that will happen. We don't have anything set in stone right now, but that might happen sometime in the next so many weeks. And so we'll, we'll get that on the get that on the schedule just to give you guys a heads up that that's what that's what we're looking at doing and uh yeah all right so Chanda Chanda I'm not please excuse please uh, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing this name properly but Honda, Honda uh, says, um, I started to watch Christopher. I found him through Onia. Oh, welcome. Welcome, welcome. There's a few of us here. If you're interested, yeah, we have uh, Sheepdog Ministries as well. Um, he's got a channel that's quite, quite, uh, quite the going concern, I guess you would call it, on TikTok. Very active and and um, and uh, it's a very good uh, very good channel. If you're interested in that kind of thing, go over to TikTok and look up uh, uh, Sheepdog Ministries. Let me see here. I want to make sure I get it right. It is. Give you a plug there, Will. So it is. If you're interested. It's uh, on TikTok. Read Romans three twenty three underscore two point uh, That's um, that's Will's ministry. So Will's Will's page there. You might find that interesting. Speaking of Will's Sheepdog Ministry, says thank you, brother. Hopefully, I will be able to fellowship more soon. Yeah, thank you very much. One John two twenty six says thanks, blessings, and good night. Thank you very much, brother. Blessings multiplied to you. Good night. KMJJ says, good teachings. Thank you. Have a blessed night. Shalom. You too as well. Blessings multiplied to you. Kanda says, I'm enjoying the studies. I'm enjoying your fellowship. Thank you for your questions and your comments. You need a backup? Let me know. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much, Will. That was an awesome brother. Okay, so, okay. So, Lord willing, tomorrow, same time, same place at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, again, we'll have Jordan on. And um, yeah, hopefully it's going to be, uh, I know it's going to be good. Lord willing, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Okay, guys, as always, you guys are awesome. Thanks again for your fellowship and your questions, your comments. Um, Lord bless you guys. You guys are world changers. 
You guys are world changers. Keep changing the world. Lord bless you. Give you power to do what you need to do in his name. Amen. Amen. Okay. As always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow night.